13, please. Acts chapter 13. Good to have Aaron and Melissa Custer with us, dear friends of ours, and uh, one of my best friends in all the world. And uh, they're with us on vacation, and uh, they'll be traveling some this next week. I won't be here Wednesday. Uh, Brother Girth will be preaching Wednesday night, so you'll be here for that. And I'll be back Sunday, uh, but I'll be having Pastor Humphrey preach Sunday morning, and then Brother Custer will be preaching in the afternoon service next Sunday. And so, looking forward to that as well, as the time that we will spend with them. Just want to make you aware of that. Also, a reminder of the wedding coming up, Rebecca Elise Humphrey and Justin David Pankrat, Saturday, September 4th, 6 p.m. here at the church. There is a reception to follow, but it's not going to be maybe like, you know, the traditional kind of reception. Instead, Rebecca is having a going away slash wedding celebration on Thursday before the wedding for her and Justin. They'll be at Caleb and Lisa's house. They're going to be hosting an outdoor potluck at their home. And if you don't know uh, where Caleb and Lisa live, this invitation is on the bulletin board in the hallway back there with their invitation on it. If it rains that day, the party's going to be moved here to the church. But that is Thursday, September 2nd at 6 o'clock as well in the evening. It's a potluck meal. Bring your favorite dish to that potluck, and that'll be a, a going-away wedding celebration for them. Um, time for you to spend with them more, uh, maybe more, um, well, geared to be able to just talk with them and spend time with them. Wedding day is full, and after the wedding's over, they want to get out. So... <laughs> It's an opportunity for you, so it's it's uh, it's gonna be nice. It's gonna be it'll be well done, and it'll be a fun time. And so all of these are on the bulletin board as well in the hallway, okay? And you make yourself available to help if you can. All right, Acts chapter thirteen. I'm gonna read verses forty-two to fifty-two for our text this afternoon. I'm gonna preach to you this afternoon on open doors and opposition. Open doors and opposition. We pray that the Lord will open a door to us. A door of utterance. We pray that the Lord will open a door that no man can close. And the Lord does open doors for His church as we seek to evangelize. The Lord opens doors, but usually when the Lord opens a door, there also comes opposition. And I want us to look at Acts chapter 13 as an example of that uh, this afternoon, beginning in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation 
unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as, as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Again, I want to speak to you this afternoon on open doors and opposition. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, help us today as we consider the Word of God and encourage us with its truths. And Lord, enable us and encourage us in the work that you have for us as well. But Lord, I pray that we would not be um, fearful of challenges or fearful of opposition. For when the Word of God is being preached and when the Gospel is being preached and lives are being changed, it's an attack on Satan's kingdom and he's going to oppose the work of the Lord. And Lord, we understand and we thank you that you're greater than all of those things. Encourage our hearts today with this truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So our text here this afternoon sits in the context of what has just happened. Prior to this, we find Paul's first recorded sermon after being newly sent out of his home church as a preacher of the gospel. You look in Acts chapter 13, in the first couple of verses, three verses of Acts 13, what you find is that as these were serving and ministering in the church in, in, in Antioch, the, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And as the church fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so Paul was newly sent uh, as a preacher of the gospel from the church in Antioch. And what we find in the next verses, ensuing verses, is Paul's first sermon that's recorded after being sent from the church. We find the place of the message. Look in verse 14. Where is this preached? The Bible says, But when they departed from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Amen, and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul's like, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> and in verse uh, 16, the Bible says, Then Paul stood up, and beckoning with his hand, said, um, I need to get to, I turned two pages, said, Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. And so Paul begins to preach. So the place of the message is Antioch and Pisidia. The notable thing is that uh, we find this will be the custom of Paul when he goes from place to place, is that he's preaching in a Jewish synagogue. And what you find in the content next is that it is a very decidedly Hebrew flavor or content to what he preaches. He, he addresses them, men of Israel, and, and ye that fear God, give audience. And then he goes on to rehearse, give, kind of give an outline of the, of the nation of Israel. But the theme of the message is not just to give an outline of the history of the nation of Israel. The theme of the message is verse 38. Look at verse 38. He says, Be it known unto you, therefore. So he's preached all of this. He's given a history of the nation of Israel, and he gets to 
where we get to verse 38, he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So you find that the theme of the message is justification by faith. And, that, and you know that's what Paul preached. Romans chapter 3 uh, tells us again, look in Romans 3 and verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the theme of Paul's message is you can't be right with God by your works. The law is never going to justify you, Jews. Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ through this man. Now, I want you to notice the introduction to that message. It starts back in verse 16, which we already read. But then you get into verse 17, and he says, The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had excuse me, destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred years and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And so you see what he's doing here. He's laying out for these Jewish people in the synagogue their own history. They already knew all that he was talking about. They knew their own history. And so what Paul is doing is he's going from what is known by these people to the unknown. What did they not know? That justification was by faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's moving from what is known to the unknown. He starts with the very familiar history of the nation of Israel. They knew that. This was a Jewish synagogue, and he's generally outlining the history of the Old Testament. But he did that in order to show them that God, from the very beginning, had graciously given everything to his people, and nothing that they were as a nation, and nothing that they were as a people, was due to their own merit. They took pride in who they were. They took pride in their ceremonies and so on. They didn't give God glory for any of that. And he goes from what they already knew to what they don't know. You're never going to save yourself. All the pride that you take in your religious ceremonies and in your keeping of the law, it's never going to justify you in the sight of God. And that gets us to the point of his message, which is in verse 26. He says, Men and brethren children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are, who, who are his witnesses unto the people. 
And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So what I'm saying here is that the point of Paul's message was to show them that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. He was the fulfillment of all the expectation of the Old Testament. And everything that they read and everything that they knew all pointed to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But they didn't grab it. They read it every Sabbath day. And so he's preaching to them from what they know moving or to, to what they don't know and how that Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. And then you get to the conclusion of his message, which is verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, and work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. Very interesting. So the conclusion of Paul's message was justifying faith, the kind that makes you right with God, is the appropriation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to ourselves. It's not in what law we can keep or what we can do for ourselves. And that's what Paul was preaching to these Jews. In essence, when the sinner by faith receives Christ as their Savior, as the payment for their sin, then, number one, he is forgiven, and number two, he is justified before God. To be justified means to be judicially just. It means to be declared righteous in God's sight. We can't make ourselves righteous. But through Christ, we're declared righteous, and the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned, 100% righteousness in the eyes of God. Now note that he ends his message with verse 40 and 41, and it's a quotation from the Old Testament. He says, Beware therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, and work which, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He gives them a warning. It's a quotation from the Old Testament, and in essence it means this, that the rejection of the gospel, those that despise it and reject it, it allows only for the judgment of God in their life. 
there's no hope for their soul if they reject the gospel. That's a great sermon. Great sermon outline. But here's where we get to our text in verse 42 and following. And this is where we observe open doors and opposition. Again, let's read verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, so you get the whole picture, right? He went into the synagogue, he preached this message, he gave them a warning at the end, he preached Christ to them. When all that was done, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The first thing that I want you to note here this afternoon is that there was a great desire to hear the truth. There seemed to be hungry hearts in this city. It wasn't by the Jews, necessarily, but the Gentiles who heard this message that Paul was preaching, after it was all broken up, they said, hey, we want you to preach these words to us. We want to hear this truth. And there was many that followed them uh, in verse 43. And Paul and Barnabas were able to speak to them and persuade them to continue in the grace of God. There seemed to be many hungry hearts in this city. The gospel had so been preached in the power of God that it started to cause a real thirst to be created in the hearts of many so that they would hear it again. They were anxious. Anxious inquirers at the close of Paul's sermon uh, who wanted to know more. I think that's awesome. That's wonderful. Imagine if that were the case today. When the Word of God is preached or, or taught, and the Spirit of God is controlling and drawing, you know what? That's exactly what happens. It puts salt on the tongue that creates a thirst for more of the Word of God. Remember how Brother Lang talked about sowing the Word of God, just getting it out, and trusting, like, like bees to honey, that those who were, that God has been working in, that God has been dealing with, that they're going to be attracted to the Word of God that's been given out. That's what happened here. They had heard it, and it caused them to be thirsty for more. I want you to note, secondly, there was a general awakening going on. Look at verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came also the whole city together to hear the word of God. Imagine that audience. We're not talking about a small village. We're talking about a city here and the whole city coming together because they were hungry to hear the Word of God. Could you imagine being able to preach to so many people? I think much of today's preaching in many churches doesn't seem to do much at all. It doesn't seem to stir up much interest in the Word of God. Maybe because of a departure from the real Word of God into traditions and opinions and entertainments and all these things. But what is the Word of God going to do? It is either going to attract or it's going to cause them to be driven away. The Word of God does not return void. When it's really preached in the power of God, it's going to do something. Well, these people were attracted to the Word of God like bees to honey. 
And the crowds came uh, on the next Sabbath day to hear the Word of God. It wasn't coming for an entertainment. It wasn't coming to hear a good rock band or some good gospel music. They came to hear the Word of God. We don't need to worry about trying to attract attention and putting on the program. What we need to do is just get the Word of God out. And as God is working in someone's heart, they're going to be drawn to it. But then you get to verse 45. So this was an open door. Would you say that? Would you agree with that? Wide open door. Here the people wanted to hear the Word of God. The whole city came out to hear the Word of God preached. Wide open door. But here's where we get to the opposition. Verse 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You know what? We shouldn't be surprised by that. Because whenever and wherever God works, Satan is going to try to stir up trouble. Whenever and wherever the Word of God is preached and God is working to to change men's lives, that is an attack on Satan's kingdom. And he's going to try to stir up trouble. He's going to try to stir up trouble from without. He's going to try to stir up trouble from within. He's going to work to try to stir up trouble in the lives of God's people to distract them from the work that God wants to do. I have learned this to be true. And it was something I even thought about this last week. This last week has been a very, very difficult week. I mean, from things, you know, not, plans not working out to, you know, to details of things that have to happen that aren't happening to every appliance I have in my house breaking down and not working and having no time to fix any of them. A lot of things frustrations here and there, things to pull, things to distract. And I, was, I found myself very discouraged earlier in the week. Like, this is like, what in the world is going on? And, and, and almost to the point of like having the wrong attitude about things. Like, what is, what is the problem? What's going on? Nothing's working right. And the thought occurred to me, and I was reminded again, that you know what? This is exactly what the devil wants to do. Completely distract me from, from the things that God wants to do. God is trying to do a work. God is beginning to move in our church. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. When we start our project and the Word of God begins to go out, don't be surprised if opposition is going to come in your life to try to distract you or discourage you to get you off of what God wants you to be doing. Life takes over real easy, doesn't it? You get so consumed with the busyness of what's going on in our life And what usually is the first thing to go out the window? Our burden, our passion, our our desire to even share the gospel because I'm just so busy, I got my schedule, and I don't even see people. I don't see people as souls. But you know what? I was encouraged then at the same time. After I got my thinking straight, because I realized... When the opposition comes, it is a sure sign that God is at work and God is wanting to do something to glorify himself. It's a sure sign. That was encouraging then. Like, oh, okay. 
What do you want to do, Lord? What we find here is that as the word of God went out, there was a wide open door for them. But with that wide open door came the opposition. How did Paul respond to that? Well, let's look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you, but seeing ye ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. How did they respond to it? By being bold with the truth. That's how they responded to it. What do we see here? What do we see happen here? Well, first of all, we see the Christian's responsibility. Verse 46, the first part of verse 46, responding to the opposition, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, and they said it was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken unto you. And what do I mean by the Christian's responsibility? Well, I simply would say this. We are accountable to God to preach the gospel to every creature not just those that look like they may respond to it. Here they preached the gospel to these who were going to reject it. They preached the gospel to those who didn't want to hear it. And you know what? That's not uncommon. The Lord sent prophets in the Old Testament to people who would not hear. He said, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to the message that I give you. And Jesus didn't give us the command in the New Testament to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all those who look like they're going to respond to the gospel. He said, preach it to every creature. How people respond to the gospel is their own responsibility. I can't manufacture a response of people. I'm not called to manufacture a response of people. I'm called to sow the seed. That's all we're called to do, is sow the seed. God is the one who does the work in people's hearts to draw them to himself. In fact, look at Ezekiel chapter 3 with me back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 3. In verse 18. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So you fail to give the message, his blood I'm going to require it at your hand. But look at verse 19. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. How people respond to the gospel is on them. My job, our job, is to sow the seed. They're accountable to God for themselves. And and I said that to say this. We're responsible to preach the gospel to every creature. But sometimes the best evangelistic endeavors that we would make, they fail to, to win souls. They fail to see churches established. 
They result in, in, in basically nothing happening that we can visibly see, and they might result in the need for us to just move on. That's what happened here. Paul said it was needful and necessary that the Word of God be preached to you first, but you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, and lo, we go to the Gentiles. Later on, the Bible says that they, they brush the dust off of their feet, and they move forward. Sometimes our best intents and our best uh, evangelistic endeavors to preach the gospel to every creature is going to fail to win a soul. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's a failure though. As long as the gospel was faithfully proclaimed, there is no failure. Because the word of God does not return void. God promised that he would give light to every man that cometh into the world. God gives everybody an opportunity. How they respond to it is up to them. And God's Word doesn't return void. That doesn't mean, some people think it means this, God's Word doesn't return void. It means that, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring in a harvest or it's, someone's going to get saved. That's not what that means. God gives everybody some light. And God's Word did what it's supposed to do whether they chose to respond to it or they chose to reject it was them. God's Word made them make a choice. God's Word worked in their life. It's not failure as long as the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. We might, we might start sending out these Bible studies and sowing down the state of Alaska. We might not get a multitude of responses. That's not what we're trying to do. Say, oh, I thought that's what we were trying to do, Pastor. First of all, we're just going to try to be obedient to the Lord first. And we're going to let the Lord do what He's going to do in people's lives. How they respond, it's not really up to us. We just need to be ready to be used of God again when they do. And we're not failing if we don't get a multitude of responses. Our duty is to preach the gospel. It's God's part to save the soul. We know that. So let's not be discouraged in that. Amen? We see the Christian's responsibility to preach the gospel, but then we see, secondly, the reality of rejecting the gospel. The second part of verse 46 of our text in Acts chapter 13, the second part of verse 46 Paul said it was needful to preach the gospel to you Jews first. But then he says, But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. This verse shows that God never sends anybody to hell. Those who choose to reject the gospel send themselves there. God gives everybody an opportunity. They deemed themselves unworthy of everlasting life by rejecting it. But then thirdly, out of this, we see the joy among the Gentiles. What did the rejection of the gospel by the Jews produce? Well, it produced an open door for the Gentiles. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were listening very intently the Bible says they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, some might look at those words in that verse 
and think that the Bible is promoting, teaching, Calvinistic viewpoint because those were that were ordained to eternal life believed. The word ordained here, it does mean chosen or it means disposed. And this verse is not teaching that God has chosen some to be saved and others to be lost. Rather, what it's doing is recognizing that God has chosen to save any who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Gentiles did. Look at verse 38 again. Verse 38 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. All that believe are justified from all things. This verse is recognizing that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and He has chosen to save those that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thought that God in His mercy has ordained and chosen. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Now look at verse 49. What was the result of all of this? Verse 49 says that the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. What we find here is an evangelistic outpost. They preached the gospel here. The the Jews rejected it. It was a wide open door for the Gentiles. Along with that open door came some opposition, but the opposition wasn't strong enough to keep the word of God from moving forward. The church was established here. And it became a beacon of the gospel to the whole region in spite of the opposition. So, let me say this to you. We should not be content with just our Jerusalem. We should not be content with our Jerusalem and the uttermost. We need to see the whole region as our responsibility and our duty to preach the gospel in. And I'm simply saying that to remind us, listen, just because it's hard and just because our region is difficult doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to preach the gospel to them. An evangelistic outpost was started here and the word of God was published throughout all the region. Now look at verses 58 to 52 and we see the calculated opposition here. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I was looking at that verse and those verses and I thought to myself, you know what? These were the Jews. These were devout and honorable women. These were chief men of the city. Who was it that was doing the stirring up, causing these other people to, trying to influence them against the gospel? Who was it? It was the religious crowd. It was the religious crowd that Satan was using 
to try to stir up and sway the people against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan often uses respectable religion to oppose Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. Paul and Barnabas were expelled from Antioch in Pisidia, but it wasn't before a church was established there. And at a later time, Paul and Barnabas were able to return to this place. They were able to complete the organizing of this church and the teaching of this church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 14. We don't have the time to do that. But the whole point of the message tonight was to simply encourage you that we might have an open door to us right now. The Lord may be opening a door that no man can close, but with open doors will always come opposition. And so, before we even get started, let's understand that this is an attack against Satan's kingdom. But God is so much greater. And in the middle of the fight, and in the middle of the work, let's not be weary in well-doing, even if it doesn't seem as though much is happening, because in due season we shall reap if we keep sowing the seed. You never get a harvest, though, if you don't ever sow the seed. If you don't ever plant the seed. I would say to you as well, not just with our own ministries, but think of our evangelist, Noah George. There's an open door unto him right now. It was good to hear from him again today. Pray for Ahmed. Remember, we've prayed for Ahmed's wife, who is in Syria. Prayed that she would be saved. Remember, they're separated and so on. Noah said today that he is probably likely going back to go get her and her sister and bring her back to Lebanon. This is really critical. For number one, safety. There's no guarantee. But number two, maybe for the salvation of her soul. Besides that, these men are ready to be baptized. He told me how they were able to, um, to do their ministries this week, which was pretty extensive. And both Ahmed and Mustafa were his right-hand men helping in the work and the ministry. That was encouraging. There's an open door to him. And what we need to do is pray for him because he faces opposition. We, I read again today, he said how all of the, uh, the gas, the electricity, the shortages, they're getting worse and worse. He said people wait in line for 10 hours just to put gas in their car. And they'll have to pay an entire month's salary just for 10 gallons of gas in their car. Those are the things that he's facing. Opposition that can be very discouraging with the open door that's right in front of him. So you understand? You, you get my heart here this afternoon? Let's not be discouraged. Let's expect it. Let's pray for our evangelist as well besides and let's get busy sowing the seed. Amen. Just to give you an update, our first thousand John Romans will be in this week. I ordered another 5,000 after that. That'll be a couple weeks away. We have our new copier printer coming on Tuesday. We're going to start with the printing process, and we're going to start putting these packets together. We're going to need your help in your hands, and what we're going to do is we're going to schedule a work day, Great Commission Day, I'll, I'll let you know all about that. We'll have it well organized so that when you come, we can put our hands together to the work. We can pray. We can ask the Lord 
to honor his word as we begin to sow it, all right? But remember, with the open door is going to come some opposition. In your life, your personal life, uh, the life of the church, but let's not be discouraged. Let's not let the devil do that. Be distracted from the work. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd encourage our hearts today with the Word of God. Let us be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Let us be aware of the devil's devices. We are not ignorant of them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the mindset where we are focused. Lord, that we are of one mind and of one heart in this purpose. And Lord, we pray, even as we begin, before the first page is printed, before the first one is ever sent out, Lord, that you'd be working in people's hearts right now. So that as the Word of God lands in their hands, they'll be like bees to honey, attracted to the truth of God. Lord, open doors for us that no man can close. Lead us in the direction you have us to go. And Lord, help us to be faithful to sow the seed of the Word of God. We love you tonight. Thank you for the day. Thank you for our church, our love for you, love for souls. Lord, I pray that you would magnify your name through us. In Jesus' name, amen.